Hello. How are you all doing tonight? I haven't got any jokes to start. I, li I just can never remember jokes. Oh, I went to a seafood disco the other day. Pulled a muscle. Is that appropriate in church? I don't know. that would make me relax but it hasn't um so i'm gonna stand i'm gonna stand um yeah by this the world will know i titled the talk tonight um i'm gonna start with a story it's always a good way to kind of begin things so when i'm tired i don't know if this happens to anyone else i've never said it out loud before but when i'm very tired i have like <laughs> these really surreal moments where like the very concept of reality like I can't quite grasp it, <laughs> and I can't kind of like figure out where I am, what I'm doing. I just got to go to bed, and then it'll be all right. Um, but I had an I had an experience a couple of months ago. I must have been about six months ago. Ari was around. It was around the time when you still woke up at three in the morning, kind of thing. I had the total opposite experience. I was very tired, but I woke up, and uh, I guess my spirit saw Jesus, so I didn't see anything uh, with my eyes, I didn't see any image, but I had this moment of complete tangible clarity that Jesus was real. <laughs> that might sound like something I should have known before. Um, and I, but I've grown up believing in Jesus with a faith in Jesus, living my life believing in Jesus, even in the period of my life that I don't like to acknowledge very much, late teens, uh, I still believed in Jesus, I just kind of put him over there for a bit. So uh, my, my belief in Jesus has never not been there. But in this moment, it was like every part of me, body, soul, and spirit, saw him and, oh, he's there. And it was the middle of the night. I woke up, but that immediately happened on my way to Ari. And um, it caused me to say, oh my goodness, you're real. I said it. You're real. I had this like new moment of clarity that I've probably been praying for for a long time, but I hadn't been thinking about that before I went to bed. It was like this moment, and then it went, and I went on my way. And it was a catalyst, really, because since that moment, something different has come about in me with my understanding about Jesus. This kind of new, it's like all of me knows now, you know? All of me knows. It's a funny thing, really, but I've leveled up. I've leveled up in knowing him. That's what it was, and that's what I wanted. And um, that phrase, like, you're real. I've been saying it a bit more recently, but it's been with me for a while. Like, hey, this is all real, you know? Like, this is real, this stuff. <laughs> like, Jesus is real. And, like, the supernatural stuff we're talking about and we see is real. Did you know it's real? <laughs> it's real. Like, this isn't, like, something we're hoping is real. It's real. And this has happened to me, and it's, it's cool. And... Um, Along with that is this longing to for others to know that too. You know, I want other people to know. Pe the people that don't know that tonight, who are out there somewhere, I want them to know this is real. Like this, not it's not religion. It's not hopefulness. It's not nice a nice way to live. Like it's real. This stuff is real. It's true, and I want people to know that. And um, I'm going to start with. There's a lot of Bible in tonight because I need to be back in what I'm saying up. <laughs> Um, it's going to start with John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And when I first read that and put it in, 
I didn't note uh, the word commandment, but I was speaking to my dad on the phone today and we were talking about these verses and he highlighted that and I reread it. I was like, oh yeah, like Jesus isn't saying, this is a nice option for us. It's a commandment. It's, it's replacing the 10 commandments, right? It's, it's like, oh, this is a new one. I still don't do that stuff, but this is what I'm saying, a new commandment. Maybe it's not replacing, but it's a new one. Here's a new one. Love each other as I have loved you. Ah, okay, next verse. 35, verse 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's, that's how people will know that this is all real. If we love one another, right? Um, and we can all agree with love. Um, so I went into a bit of Greek, Greek, uh, whatever, just Greek, I suppose, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it's all Greek. Um, and in the apparently there are seven words. I kind of only skimmed over that part. I think there are seven words for love in the Greek language. Somebody, please correct me if that's not right. But in the Bible, there are four Greek words that are used. So in our English text, we see the word love. But if you go behind the text, what was actually written is one of the four. So we've got phileia, which is a brotherly love that unites believers. Storge, family love. Eros, romantic love, skip over that quick. Agape is the one I want to focus on. Agape love. I think it's pronounced agape, but I'm so used to saying agape that I'm going to go with that. Agape is God's love for humankind. Okay. So agape is the highest form of love. So above all other versions of love, of all the other Greek terms, agape is the one that sits above them all. It's the highest form. And this term defines God's immeasurable, incomparable love for humankind. It's the divine love that comes from God. And it's perfect, it's unconditional, it's sacrificial, and it's pure. Agape is just above, above all of it. And it's the way in which God loves us. For God so agaped the world. I don't know if you use it like that, but I'm going to. So guess what? In this verse, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. It's not phileia, which is brotherly love. It's agape. If you have agape for one, one another, that's the love that God gives us. And that's the commandment that Jesus gave us. Commandment. Like, that's pretty big stuff, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, oh, we've got to do it. <laughs> but it's a good thing, and I'm going to explain why. Um, so... William Barclay said that agape has to do with the mind. I'm going off notes here a bit. Um, agape has to do with the mind. It's not simply an emotion which rises unbidden in our hearts. It is a principle by which we deliberately live. Um, I had to Google the word unbidden. <laughs> English is my second language. <laughs> I'm very fluent, aren't I? Just in case you don't know me, it's not my second language. Um, so unbidden, in case anybody didn't know, means without effort. So agape or love, yeah, agape, he's talking about agape. It isn't something that uh, happens uh, without us, uh, you know, it's just there. Oh, I just agape that person so much, I can't help it. It's something we do on purpose, right? So we can't, we can't blame not agapeing because we just don't feel agape. Like it's, I'm just not feeling the agape, sorry. Um, it's uh, something we choose to do. Uh, there's a massive attack song that says, love, love is a verb. Love is a doing word. And that's how I learned what verbs were. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Love is a doing word, right? It's, it w when you get married, you learn that. Like, 
like I, I have got love that I can't control for my husband, but there are times when I have to choose to use it as a verb. Like we choose love, right? We choose it. Um, yeah, so uh, I've got an app called the Blue Letter Bible. Has anybody got that app? Um, it's, it's the Bible, so you can read the whole Bible, but then it allows you to click on verses and it breaks it down every word and it shows you which Greek word is being used. Blue Letter Bible. It's just a concordance and all that kind of thing. Um, and I use it quite regularly for two words that I come across in the Bible, praise and love. Because, is it seven types of praise? That number's gone. I think it's seven, yeah? I should definitely know that by now. Um, so when I come across the word praise in the Bible, I'm always interested, interested to know which one. Because when it says, for example, I will inhabit the praise, praises of my people, I might have paraphrased that, but that, that verse, the, p- the word praise, we're obviously seeing our English word praise, but the, the word that is actually written is tehila, and tehila praise is spontaneous praise, which we've just heard from Sheila about, you know, what God's saying about that. So God's saying, I will inhabit the tehila, the spontaneous praise of my people. So that changes that verse, doesn't it? it or it gives, us a, it gives us more knowledge to do something with it. Because there are other versions or other words to praise, and you can apply that. Bryony teaches so well on this subject uh, of the seven types of uh, praises. So I use this blue letter to kind of get an insight into what's being said. And love is the same. And in all the kind of big love verses, it's usually agape. Um, and c- 1 Corinthians 13 is no exception. So uh, I'm going to read this, but I've replaced the word love with agape. So if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not agape, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all, and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not agape, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, I'm not sure what context in, but if I give away everything, but have not agape, I gain nothing. And these verses aren't demoting prophetic powers or moving mountains with our faith or having all knowledge. They're not demoting those things. They're elev- it's elevating agape above it all. Like those things are still as huge and massive and wonderful as we know they are. But this verse is saying agape has got to be there though because without it, those things don't matter. And sometimes I think of that in like, I grew up in, church my whole life and I experienced like amazing sides of charismatic church and I also experienced things where as a kid I was like those two things don't match up like seeing you do this in this moment and then saying that in another like that doesn't that doesn't match up for me and it's not a judgment thing what I'm saying is I see the effect on my little child self seeing the spiritual prophetic side without agape it confused me, you know, and probably caused me to then go on a little journey of what, what is all this? Is it real? Thankfully, I know it is. Is that okay to say? Do you know, you know what I mean by that? It's not a judgment. We are, I'm going to go into a little bit of that in a minute. Um, yeah, they're not reducing it. They're just elevating agape. It's showing that agape is, is like key. And we're so familiar with this passage because um, we hear it at weddings a lot, right? Like, uh, it's, it's like a kind of gentle encouragement or a list of ways to, I don't know, for newlyweds I'm thinking of. Um, We hear it a lot. I certainly hear it a lot. And we kind of feel like perhaps we're familiar with it. 
but is agape again. And if we really linger on each point, it can kind of get a little bit like, oh my goodness, I don't do that. You know, if I'm being honest, I don't do that very much at all. You know, and I can see there are some things I might be doing a little more in my life. There's some, some things I might be doing a little less. But this is a good verse to break down because it kind of lists agape for us, what it is and what it isn't. It's patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irri irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and agape never ends. And uh, a couple of years ago, I spent a bit of time around these verses. And kind of maybe it was something God was just doing with me, but I realized none of these things have like an if and less clause. So it's not like, it's not rude unless someone's rude to you first. Then, it's, then you can be rude back, right? There's no unless coming with that. It's like agape, it endures all things. Even if someone's rude to you, agape is not rude. And this isn't a list that makes us feel bad about ourselves. Um, because if we begin to imagine a world in which those things are happening in their purest way, we can see the power of it, right? We can that agape is not something that makes, this is not making us feel, this shouldn't be making us feel bad. It's an encouragement or it's a, agape is power, it's a power. And I'm not trying to say anything that makes any of us feel bad because I don't do any of those things perfectly by any means. Let me get back onto my notes. Um, yeah, Paul said if, if we can prophesy and move mountains and give all we have away but don't do these things, we gain nothing. Now, I'm not saying absolutely nothing. I don't know. I'm kind of asking the question, does that really mean nothing? Is it really saying that? I don't know. I don't know, but I do know that those verses are saying agape is pretty important, and Paul is putting it above everything else. Is, is saying this needs to be there too. And what I do feel is that agape is the only way that we can have a culture. And the, the topic, the theme this month is um, risk and faith. And I was going to talk on something very different, and then all of this came out. I was going to talk on bold communication. Um, but actually, it does tie in because agape is the way in which we can safely communicate in a culture of honor, right? A culture of agape means we can trust one another to have bold conversations that, yeah, does that, does that make sense? Maybe that's a tenuous link, I don't know. Um, so we had a, a fun experience the other day where um, we were driving back from Blanford. It was just me and Sam in the car, and it was about half nine in the morning. And, and it was the A350 road. And it was, uh, it was like the f you know, one of the faster parts of the road. We were probably 50, 60 kind of part. And we were on a bend. And it was pretty busy because it was morning. People were going to work. And as we were coming to the bend, this van behind us started to overtake and was next to us. And there's a car coming. So the only thing we could do was stop our car and like try and somehow let him go in front because there was going to be a big crash, probably like three, four, five cars involved because it was happening very fast. So we stopped and then he stopped next to us. So we had this like strange moment where he's on the wrong side of the road, looking into our car, shouting at us. He's telling us we're this, that, or the other. And it was like this horrible moment. And 
we said something like, what are you doing? You know, it was that kind of thing. Not, not nothing terrible, but also we could have done a better job, right? But we were all frightened. That's the point. He made this choice that caused us all to be in a point of danger, and everybody was frightened. He was frightened too. And uh, he then followed us. You know, I don't think he was going the same way, but he was behind us then for about 10 minutes, pretty close to our car. He was, he was angry. And then when, he, when we turned off, he gestured something very rude. I couldn't possibly repeat out the window at us. And we were kind of going on our way saying, how is that fair? Like, how is it fair that he's done, he's done that, nearly caused this big accident, and then he, get, he gets to call us that and then go on with his day? <laughs> we were talking about, like, what are you supposed to do in that moment? But as I was preparing this, I was thinking about agape. Like, what about agape in that moment? What does that do? The first one is agape is patient. Love is patient. And the Greek word, which I forget what it is, for that word patient, is slow to get angry. Very slow to get angry. So agape is very slow to get angry. Not unless a guy causes you danger. It's very slow to get angry, full stop. So in that moment, if we'd have been very slow to get angry, we might have remembered that he's a child of God and he's somebody's son and he's somebody's father and he might be somebody's brother. He might be somebody's, well, I don't know if he's those things. He's obviously somebody's son. Um, but he's loved by people and he's loved by God, most importantly. And in that moment, he made a wrong choice, right? He, did, he shouldn't have overtaken on a corner. That's like 101 driving. Um, but he just made a mistake on the road right, and then caused us all to be frightened. And in our frightenedness, we all responded out of that place of fear. And we gave him the smallest of seeds, because we really didn't say much to him, because it happened so fast. But we gave him the smallest of seeds to be angry at us, and then he went with that, and he was, like, behind us. Like, we were like, don't look back. He was so mad at us, because we'd given him, like, the smallest thing to jump on. But if we'd have... This is probably hard to do, right? But if we'd have been calm... And very slow to get angry, so slow that it didn't even come out as anger, and said, are you okay? We'll, we'll reverse, you can get back on the road, or we'll go faster, you can get behind us. Like, are you okay? Or whatever. Whatever you would do, whatever Agape would do. I wonder what that situation would have turned out like. Because we wouldn't have felt the way we felt for the rest of our journey if we'd have Agaped our way out of it. But I wonder what that would have told him. Obviously, that's a mildly trivial um, incident in life but he just made a mistake and I've made my fair share on the road too but what that what that shows me is that agape has to dwell in the deepest part of my heart because out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks so if in that moment I turn to that guy and I'm like you idiot what are you doing there's obviously something in my heart I need to work on because out in the moment of pressure that what what's coming out if it's not agape, there's some work I could do there to, to bring agape in. Is that okay to say? Cool. Um, it's easy to agree with agape in, in love, and it's, easy, it's easier to say in those moments, just bless them on their journey. Like, it's easier to say that right here than to do it. But there have been times in my life where I've chosen that route, and I've seen the difference. I've seen the difference when I agape it instead. I've and I've had that done to me as well. I've seen the, the benefit of it. But I'm just, cha I'm just challenged by what I'm reading in these verses. Am I agapeing? 
to the, in the quietest place of my heart, when our front doors close and we're discussing our days, are we full of agape in my family? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know that we are. Probably not, <laughs> okay? We, we, we look at that list. I'm not doing that. I can speak only for myself and say, I am not 100% doing those things. But I'm not, I'm not here uh, condemning myself either, but I'm recognizing that there's some stuff I could, I could do. And I think if we're willing to say, I don't always get this right, but I want to work with Jesus to agape to the highest possible level, I think, I think there is going to be power in that. Like we're humans and we, we make mistakes, and that's okay because we're, we're human beings. We're not, we're not God. But we can't dwell in that identity, and we can't let God's unconditional love for us be the reason we don't try and unconditionally love others, can we? I'm going to say that again. We can't let God's unconditional love for us be the reason we aren't trying with everything that we are to love others unconditionally. It can't, it can't stop us doing that. It doesn't change whether he's going to agape us. That nothing we can do will lose that. But we can't use it as a, as a, as a reason. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. We've got to... I believe we've got to aim for agape. And we do it by God, with God, in God, because it's his love that he's given to us, and it's in him that we can do it, only in him. It is not humanly natural to be put in a position, uh, again, that, that poor guy, I keep bringing him up, but to be put in the position we were, it's not natural for us to go, are you okay? Bless you on your journey. That's not like a human response, is it? That's a God, that's a God response. If If... If we do something that puts ourselves in danger, God's first response isn't to chastise and tell us off and discipline us. It's making sure we're okay. If Ari starts climbing the stairs and then fell down, and that hasn't happened, and we've just put a stair gate in. Um, but I'm not going to tell him off before I check he's okay, right? Because God's, God's love for us cares for us before making sure everybody knows who is right and wrong, Right? Agape is his divine love for us, and he gives us the gift of his grace and mercy to love others as he loves us. And I kind of think of it like his grace allows us to see a bigger picture in the moment. So we're not just seeing the situation that's happening. We're not just seeing somebody's behavior towards us. We can zoom out and see it how he sees it. We can see that a person is, uh, oh, there's, a, there's a line, isn't there? Hurt people, hurt people. We can see that in a moment. We can see oh man, what you've just said has really upset me, but let me zoom out. Like we don't even, if we develop agape, I think it becomes a resp- our knee-jerk response to, to see things that way, to have his grace for people that he has for us. His, his divine power in us, we get, to div- we get to work with him to make that our response to situations to, and to life around us. Because Jesus said it's through agape that the world will know that we are his disciples. And Paul said that even if we can do all of those amazing things, without agape, we're noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. And when I read those verses, I'm caused to believe that we're meant to prioritize agape in our lives above everything. Not that the other stuff isn't vastly important, but those verses tell me I'm supposed to be making agape my priority. Am I, am I getting that right? Is there anything lingering within me that, that isn't agape? 
probably misusing the word in terms of placing it in sentences, but I hope you're with me. Um, agape is risky. It feels risky. Will they agape me back? And the answer is not always. Probably not. Not in every situation. I'd love it if um, our nation was full of it. Because imagine, imagine what our government would look like. Oh my goodness, imagine what Facebook would look like if Agape reigned on Facebook. Because, I mean, I've only lived 27 years on this earth, and I've only been on Facebook for 10 of them. But I have never seen, that's mad, isn't it? I feel like I should come off Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've never seen such disunity and dishonor and slander and hatred. And honestly, that's some of my Christian friends as well. I'm not judging them. I'm saying we have got to inject agape into our, into our world. The church, the Christians, has got to have agape. Whew. Because it does not matter who is politically right. Without agape, it is nothing. Because what people are seeing on Facebook, what people are seeing is, a well, that's a reflection of our hearts, isn't it? What we type, what we type out of the overflow of the heart, the, the fingers type. And, we, and people, people are seeing that. Like when, when I see a fellow Christian, people I love, and they post something slanderously about another church, about all these big churches that are doing things, perhaps in ways we don't understand, perhaps in ways they just don't understand. I think if, if somebody is seeing a Christian slating another Christian, what is that doing for kingdom stuff? It's not, it doesn't, it's damaging it. Yeah, exactly. It's damaging it. By this, the world will know if we agape one another, not if we're politically right or if we're right about our church politics or if we're right about whether we should record albums or whether we should just worship in the, our living room or if we should just do it, things, all these different ways, that, all these different expressions. None of that matters. It matters if we're agapeing. And it's not something that we, we, just, we just do because we're Christians. It's something we have to step into and learn and develop within us because it's not our natural thing to do. We, we're all emotional about stuff. I see topics on Facebook that I would love to get involved in, but I do know that no one is on Facebook to listen to somebody else's views and have an honest discussion. It's where everything is just like put, put out, and if you want to reply, you reply. If you don't, you've said your bit, right? Nobody's on there trying to have honest debates, and it's getting worse, like... I, I can't look at it as much as I used to because it just makes me so sad to see such disunity. Um, agape, it's got to be. I've lost my notes. It feels risky and it doesn't feel fair. C.S. Lewis, who I don't feel like could have been alive for as long as the incredible things he wrote have come out, um, he said that love is never wasted because its value does not re rest upon reciprocity. <laughs> um, and I want to add to that, if C.S. Lewis wouldn't mind, uh, that its power doesn't rest upon that either. Its power doesn't require both people to be agape for it to have its effect. 
I don't need the guy that overtook and started saying really nasty things to us to agape me back, for me to agape him and for that to have a power, power that we may or may not see. Sometimes we might not see it, but I'm telling you, if we respond in an extraordinary, excellent way to situations that other people would respond differently, that will have a massive effect because people will see, people will notice that that is a different way. That's a different way of responding to that. And it has to be in our hearts because, as I said, out of it, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we've got to develop it within our v- the very core of us. It's not something that we can just talk about. It has to be the way in which we live. We're, we're living at home, on our own, with people. When we're talking about things, when we're talking about situations... I'm often challenged by the part of Corinthians that says, uh, it doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, it rejoices with the truth. And I'd like to think I don't like to gossip, but when we talk about situations, I get challenged by that one. It rejoices with the truth. The truth is that every person, every person is a valuable, absolutely loved child of God. And every person was a tiny child like my son once. Oh, it makes me cry. People that have hurt me the most were were a child once that played with their cars like my son did, does. That's, that's who God sees them as. So agape remembers that more than anything else, no matter what somebody is doing to you. That's tough, but it's possible. Because Jesus wouldn't say, a new commandment I give to you, agape one another, if we couldn't get there. I'm not saying that we'll never make a mistake again, but Jesus wouldn't tell us to do something we couldn't achieve, would he? I don't think he would. I don't think he'd give us a commandment that we couldn't, we couldn't even get close to. Perhaps, perhaps I'm wrong on that, but I know that if he's told us to do it, it's possible for us to walk in agape. I've digressed. <laughs> I want to I want to be clear that what I'm, I'm saying and what I'm not saying, what I am saying, what I'm saying now, when, we're, when we say yes to Jesus, when, we're, when we are saved uh, and made righteous in him, our spirits are spotless, our salvation, we've got it. As far as that's concerned, we are in. Nothing we can do can lose that, right? Nothing we can do can earn that either. So... Uh, this is not a matter of getting right with God every time we do or don't agape. Because we are saved. We say yes to Jesus. The way that we are viewed is spotless and righteous. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> when I was growing up, one of my favorite films, ridiculous, was Mean Girls. Anybody seen Mean Girls? I relate it because she... whoop whoop. Probably not a very edifying film, but it's not that bad. When uh, it's it's of a character that um, moves from Africa, they literally speak Swahili in the start of the film. Move from Africa when she's about uh, I don't know what age. Move from Africa and she joins this like absolutely brutal high school in America. You know, it's like uh, full of mean girls, and she gets in with the gang. She gets in with the popular girls, and then the story unfolds from there. And when I went to see that film, I was 11. I literally know what I was wearing because it was so uncool. Um, 
and we we uh, so she'd been homeschooled in Africa and then moved into this secondary school and comes into this world that she's like just not used to at all and it's really what happens as a result of that but when we went to see that I went to see it with my new school friends and I'd just moved back from Africa I'd been homeschooled for a few years and started in in the Ron the Valley St Trinians <laughs> Like, my secondary school, like, every school I go into here when I work in schools, I'm like, wow. Wait, you've got guitar strings on your guitars? Oh, my goodness. Your teachers show up to lessons? Like, my, my secondary school, oh, my goodness. It's taken me 10 years to get qualified. Um, but so I went to see this film, and I was like, I relate. Like, what's the odds on that? Like, she literally moved from where I lived and did the same thing. Anyway... Basically, in the film, these, these popular girls she gets in with, they are, called, they are the mean girls. And they have this book called The Burn Book. And within it, they write nasty things about people in school. It's, there's, a, there's a good ending to this film, but that's the story. And the kind of peak of the film, this book gets photocopied and thrown around the school. So it causes chaos because everybody's in the burn book except um, this girl... She's not in it, the girl that's moved from Africa, and two others, so they get blamed for it. And then they have to get all the girls in the gymnasium to do some trust-building exercises. And the teacher has them all close their eyes, and she says, hands up if you've ever had anybody in this room say something mean about you. And every person puts their hand up. And then they open their eyes, and they're all a bit bashful because they see they were all in the same boat. And then she says, close your eyes again, hands up if you've ever said anything mean about somebody in this room. And they all put their hands up, open their eyes, and they're all, again, bashful because everybody's done it. And the reason that I'm saying that is because, oh no, <laughs> I just want to get this bit right, um, is because though we don't carry the identity of sinners. We're saved by grace. We are spotless. Our identity in Christ, our status in, status in Christ is righteous. Amen? That does not change no matter what we do. Yet, we still do stuff that could come under the banner of sinful behavior, right? Is that okay to use that word? Um, we still do that. So how is that? If I'm righteous, how can I still do stuff that's sinful behavior? The point is that when we, even after we've received salvation, we're still capable of doing things that can hurt another person, aren't we? We're still capable. That's still cap we're still capable of that. And Paul explains that in Romans seven. He says, "It's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me." So it's not it's not us. It's not our identity. You know, our identity is spotless in Christ. But sin dwelling within me. So does that mean sin is like this personality within us? And are we supposed to just accept that? We're not, are we? We're not supposed to accept that. We can't use that. Oh, it's, it's, it wasn't me. It was the sin dwelling within me. Because we're responsible for our actions. And that's not, that's not a disciplinary statement. That's, that's good news. We get to be responsible. Sin doesn't take over us. We get to kick it out. We get to say, no, I'm going to change that habit within me 
that responds that way every time that situation comes up. Because I've got the power in Christ to do that. We don't have to just accept sin dwelling within us and behave however we're wired to behave because of the things that happen to us. We get the power of kicking it out. That's good news. We're able to grow and develop and replace sin with the antidote. And I believe that's agape. If sin hurts people, agape does the total opposite. It elevates people and it reinstates them into their true identity. It heals people, it encourages people, it inspires them. Agape is, the to- is more than the opposite, if that's e- possible. It's more than the opposite. So though sin is not an issue of condemnation for us anymore because we're saved, nothing we can do can change that. But it has earthly consequences, doesn't it? Like sin hurts people, and I think God cares about the issue of sin, although it's not something uh, that affects how he loves us or what he sees us as. He cares about it because he loves us. He loves his children, and he doesn't want his children to get hurt. So he wants sinful behavior to be kicked out because he loves us. He loves me, and he loves you. He doesn't want me to do anything that's going to cause you hurt and vice versa. Not because there's rules and we'll get in trouble if we do, but because he loves us and sin hurts people and we don't want people to get hurt. We want them to have the opposite of that. Agape is the answer. I propose. And it's important for us to know that agape isn't something that we just automatically do once we become a Christian. It's a verb, which is a doing word. It's a doing word that we have to choose to deliberately do. And agape is the only standard to aim for. Because it's the standard that God loves us at, and it's the way that Jesus lived. Agape. And it never fails. Agape never fails. I want to live a life. I want to I wanna live a life, and I'm talking relationally. I want to live an agape life. Because it sounds awesome. <laughs> imagine, just imagine what our world would look like with it. If you, if you dared to dream that there was a flick of the switch and every person suddenly operated out of full agape life, what would our world look like? What would it look like? All you need to do is imagine that to know it's something we need to aim for. Make something we talk about. Let's just talk about agape. Make, we, we know that we, we want to love people. We know we do love people. I'm not suggesting this is like fresh, fresh information. But from kind of studying all this stuff, I know that in my life, I want to prioritize agape because this makes it sound like it's pretty powerful stuff. It's a, I'm not sure. Does everybody know who Andrew Womack is? Yeah, I hadn't. My, my uh, dad was telling me about him earlier. And he teaches on spirit, soul, and body. That could be the title of his book. Um, but he, st- he teaches extensively on the spirit, the soul, and the body. And it's and agape comes into that as well. He can explain it far more than I can in terms of how our spirits, our status as our in our spiritual selves uh, is unaffected. But our soul and body, those things have to be pulled into line with our spiritual status. And we've got to work with God on that if we care about loving people. 
if we care about that stuff. But yes, we'll go to heaven, even if we didn't do anything else. If we didn't do anything else after we said yes to Jesus, if we didn't try and grow at all, I think we'd still go to heaven and still be with him. But it's more than that, isn't it? I'm, I'm not just a Christian because I want to go to heaven. I, I, want, I believe that what Jesus teaches will actually change our world, will actually change our nation. And I think Agape is the answer. I really do. So I'm gonna, uh, we're going to do communion. And really, I just, I just want to focus on it, on the way God unconditionally loves us. We don't, I don't go a single day without doing something that doesn't require God's unconditional love. that he unconditionally loves us. In fact, that's the reason he sent Jesus. And Jesus took our place. That's agape. Right there. That's the, the prime example. All the stuff that I was going to do. How is that fair? <laughs> the least I can do is try and agape. The least I can do is that. Um, so when we come to the communion table... I just think it's a good opportunity to connect with and celebrate the agape love of God and also to focus on it in our own lives. I'm not asking people to dwell on mistakes, but it, you, can, you can talk with God about how, how to go deeper into agape with him. I want to be bold enough to say, God, show me any offensive way within me because I want it gone. I want it gone. I don't want to be... I don't want to show myself as a perfect person, but this is telling me, this is telling me that something amazing will happen each time I agape somebody. So are we willing to answer the call to agape life? Because by this, all people will know that we're his disciples, that we know him. If you're somebody's disciple, you know them and they know you. If you have agape for one another. Okay, I'm done. Well, let's do that then. That, that uh, what Beth has just suggested to us that we come and we share bread and wine together. Now, I've deliberately only put one glass tonight because I want us to show that unity that we are one body and that we show agape love to each other. So, what I want to do is to make this a little bit more informal than what we are now. We're all seated in rows. But I'd like us to put the chairs back and I want us to gather around the table. So just stand around the table, okay? Like family.